It's time for This Week in the Big East, a comprehensive look at the teams, coaches, players, and the story tradition of the Big East Conference. Here are your hosts, longtime conference play-by-play announcer John Rook and Big East author and sports writer Kevin McNamara. Welcome to This Week in the Big East. It's our weekly look at the teams, the coaches, the players, and the stories from the schools comprising the Big East Conference. I'm John Rook with Providence Journal beat writer and author Kevin McNamara. And got the feeling of March around us just a little bit, even if the snow is still falling up in the Northeast. Madness is in full swing within the Big East. As just when you think you can predict some things, Kevin, well, a snowball then gets thrown at the back of your head. Three road teams won last Saturday, so I'm wondering now, trend or fluke? I'd say the best teams will win on the road. The ones who are slipping a little bit or have been kind of entrenched in the bottom of the conference, they're not going to win on the road. Right. The best teams are ready to step it up right now. They can see March. They can see the Big East tournament. They can see seeding for the NCAA tournament at stake pretty much every game. So I guess it's no surprise that uh, Butler and Creighton have four road wins and Xavier and Villanova have three. And Those four teams will be in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I would think so. Updating the standings after Wednesday's play this week. Villanova is right at the set of the pace at the top of the conference, 10-2, followed by three teams separated by just one game. Xavier's 8-3. Butler is 8-4. Creighton is 7-4. Each of those teams still very much in the hunt, I think, at this stage with six or seven games left to play in their conference schedule. Yeah, I I don't see Villanova losing more than two more games, so... You know, with Creighton and uh, Butler both at four losses, you know that that, that could they're be, on the edge. They're yeah, teetering. They're teetering. I, I think so. Yeah. You know, uh, Xavier with one back, uh, you know they have a chance, but you know Villanova is one on the road. They've been very consistent. Uh, we'll see if they crack. Well, in the muddied middle of the Big East, three teams are fighting it out for what respect, fighting it out to get into the top four, maybe even fighting it out for March Madness itself. Marquette is six and six. Seton Hall is five and six. St. John's is five and seven. All three of those teams separated by just a single game. Well, you know, John, this is the time when you can actually start looking at the bracketologies that are out, uh, you know, around the country. And we've seen Marquette's name, we've seen Georgetown's name, seen Seton Hall's name. Those teams have to win. They, they have to finish strong. All three of them, I, th- I think right now, are probably out and not in. So they have to continue to kind of polish their resumes. Taking shots at those top four in the league, that's the way to go. You get some wins over Villanova, Xavier, Butler, and Creighton. That really helps your resume. There was a story away from the basketball court this week, Kevin, that uh, was a little bit scary, a little bit harrowing, um, but it would be remiss if we didn't bring it up. Uh, You mentioned Georgetown and the Hoyas, uh, I guess, basically spent last Monday just about as any other team or John Thompson as any other coach in the league would spend it. You're trying to prep for your next opponent. In fact, they were playing Tuesday night this past week against uh, number two ranked Villanova. They're on the team bus, and then all of a sudden the bus collides on I-95 in Howard County uh, with a Lexus SUV. The Lexus spins out of control, flips over on the side. Uh, it was a pretty scary experience. Fortunately, no one was seriously hurt other than the fact that Trey Campbell, one of Georgetown's guards, bruised his knee bad enough to where he couldn't play in the game on Tuesday night. But, wow, what an experience if you're traveling in a bus to have somebody or have something like that happen right in front of you. And the way that John Thompson described it to the Washington Post was that it just sort of unfolded in slow motion in front of him. You could see it coming. There was nothing you could do about stopping it. That's scary stuff. It is scary stuff. And, John, you know, you've traveled with Providence for almost 30 years now and, knock on wood, have had no issues. But 
the opportunity for issues, whether you're in a bus, a van, obviously these teams travel around the country on planes. It's not easy, and the fact that they're doing it in really bad weather, uh, especially you know on the I-95 corridor with the snow and the ice, uh, it, it, you know, there's a lot of potential issues uh, in the travel world. The one good thing that came out of this story is that after the collision had happened and the players on the bus, after they picked themselves up off the floor of the bus, they got out of the bus and they assisted the two people who were in the SUV pulling a young man, a 17-year-old kid, out of the back of the car uh, through the back rear window. He did not have shoes on, and so one of the Hoya players gave him shoes to wear while they were standing and waiting for the rescue team to come and assist. So the Hoyas came to the rescue that day. Uh, that's a learning experience for the kids, too. It really is for the Hoyas, and uh, hats off to them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we got a lot of stuff to get to today. We're going to share a question with you that we received via Twitter earlier this week in the show. But in the meantime, well, you might have your own questions. Certainly, we always aim to please. You can follow us on Twitter, at JR Broadcaster and at Kevin McNamara 33 And then you can tweet your questions to us using the hashtag TWITBE for this week in the Big East. Our Big East spotlight this week moves in on a topic most of us love to hate or at least disagree with. Officials may have the toughest job on the floor because they can't make everyone happy or can't make anyone happy, depending on your point of view, of course. But are they doing their jobs? Big East Supervisor of Officials John Cal joins us to talk about it next. This week in the Big East. Coming up this week in the Big East Spotlight. At Butler University, we've been called underdogs. We prefer overachievers. Here you'll be challenged to put your education into practice in the real world and gain the career experience to prepare you for the road ahead. So four years from now, your biggest challenge will be deciding which job offer to take. No matter where you end up, we'll help you get there. Butler Bulldogs aren't born. They're made. Plan your visit at butler.edu. Big East Spotlight. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. Now, the guys everyone loves to hate on, the referees, the guys in stripes on the floor, they've got the toughest job in sports, and I think just about anybody can agree with that one. You can't make everyone happy. You rarely can make anyone happy. So really, all you can ask for is the referees to call a game as evenly as possible. And the Big East officials probably do that as well as anyone in the country. The league supervisor of officials, John Cal, joins us this week in the Big East. And John, I know you guys have just started a new alliance this year with the ACC and a couple of other leagues as well, all of their officiating crews. How would you rate things right now and how they've gone to this stage of the season? Uh, John, I think the Alliance has been very helpful. Um, the major goal of the Alliance was to um, try to bring together the officiating staffs from four different conferences, um, the Big East, the ACC, the A-10, and the Colonial. And... Um, the purpose was to try to get a uniform message as far as interpretations and training out, and also to enable myself and, and Brian Percy, who's responsible for the assignments of officials in the uh, ACC, to coordinate the schedules of officials a little bit better so that we could reduce their travel, hopefully reduce their wear and tear, and improve the officiating product late in the season so that guys aren't as run down and as tired from crisscrossing the country throughout the uh, the month. Right. John, I'm curious, when you put officials' schedules together, is it truly 100% done uh, before the season even begins, or, or is it kind of fluid as the year goes on? No, the schedule is actually done, Kevin. This year is the first year that we did it with the four leagues all together. 
Um, this is my fourth year in this position. And in the first three years, um, I followed the, the pattern that Art Highland had, had done for as long as I can remember, where you would receive your schedule in the form of date um, by Labor Day. Um, the officials wouldn't know their actual sites, but they knew what dates they were obligated to work for the Big East. So Brian and I actually got together. I went down to Greensboro for three or four days in um, the middle of August, and uh, we worked on the schedules for three days down there and got the majority of the Big East and the ACC schedules done, and then we were able to do the A-10 and the Colonial over Labor Day weekend. So the officials working in the Alliance had their dates the Tuesday after Labor Day. And are you of the opinion now that this has worked out well enough to where, you know, you want to kind of continue status quo from this point forward? Or how would this thing evolve over the next year or two? Well, what we did, John, this year, we, we took advantage of the geographical footprint of the different conferences. And we tried to schedule guys so that we would reduce their travel. The footprint of the four conferences really lends itself to being able to reduce travel. We've had a number of crews that worked, for instance, at Rhode Island one night and then Providence the next night, and then maybe two nights later at Boston College. So we've taken advantage of it initially. I think there's an opportunity to take further advantage of it. The officials seem to enjoy it. I think they're getting better rest, and, you know, crunch time is coming in the next month here. We'll see if it's going to come to fruition as we had hoped it would. And, John, you mentioned the, uh, Providence last night. They were at Seton Hall, so obviously pretty easy ride to Philadelphia. As a former right. official yourself, uh, was this the time where, where you could start to feel it? Uh, was it late late February, or is it just maybe busier stretches earlier in the year? No, I, I think the, the wear and tear starts to hit you right about this time of the year, Kevin. And unfortunately, these are when the games get more difficult and more important. It's really important for an official to get rest, to get into some kind of pattern. I know that when I was officiating and doing a lot of travel, I had a set pattern every day. I would take the first flight if I were flying. I'd get into the city. I'd do whatever bookkeeping I had to do or things with my law practice. I'd have lunch, and then I'd turn my phone off, and I'd go to bed for two or three hours. And you really need to get your rest. And I think this travel that we are hopefully going to be able to reduce will make it easier for officials to stay in tip-top shape and not get the small muscle pulls from uh, fatigue and things like that. Big East Supervisor of Officials John Cal joining us this week in the Big East. John, with the uh, different points of emphasis by officiating crews and rules all over the country within college basketball, what's your interpretation of how things are being adjudicated, if you will, by the official crews, specifically with uh, you know point of contact and, and hand guarding and things like that? There's really not a lot of contact allowed on the perimeter anymore, not like there has been in the past. Is it being called correctly? Yeah, I think so, John. And I think you and Kevin will recall that when we first put in the emphasis on um, Rule 1014, which is the controlling rule with respect to guarding a, a player on the perimeter with the ball, there was a lot of fouls called. And if you watch our games now, there are very few what I would call hand checks or, or body bump, uh, bump fouls on the perimeter. It's, it's really made progress over the last couple of years. This year, the NCAA has asked us to extend that to post-play and rebounding situations. And we're making progress, but we're a long way from getting to the point of accomplishment that we have reached with the perimeter play, um, particularly with uh, offensive post players extending their arms to ward off or hold off defenders mm -hmm. and rebounding situations. Um, 
it's always a problem when you have a number of big bodies going up for a loose ball. Uh, it becomes even more prevalent if you watch it on uh, free throw situations. The rules committee a few years ago made the initial lane space on both sides vacant so that the defensive player or the player in the first lane space would have more of an opportunity to rebound. And sometimes we allow that second player on the free throw line to wedge that inside guy underneath the basket. Right. So he's denied the opportunity that the rules provide him. Right. John, I was just going to say, there does seem to be sometimes a double standard, and, and I'm not necessarily being critical, but hey, you know me, I'm a play-by-play guy, we're always critical of the officials. The, the contact that's not allowed on the perimeter versus the contact that's allowed on the interior, uh, especially in that semicircle under the basket, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, a lot of stuff that doesn't seem to be called. Is that something that should be, in your estimation, or is that something that still needs to be cleaned up, you feel, by the rules committees? No, I think we've got to do a better job to be consistent with the way we call post-play compared to how we call it on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. There's a thing that complicates it a little bit. The size of the players in the post and the, the really restricted area that they're in, it lends itself to more contact. You know, in the past when I was officiating, we refereed under the premises of advantage-disadvantage. And for the most part, that standard is gone by the books. And the NCA Rules Committee has determined that we need freedom of movement. And I think there's room for improvement in the post area especially. John, I'm going to ask you about a fan bugaboo uh, with officials, and uh, obviously it's not officials' fault, it's just the way the game is developed, and that's the replay system. Uh, The good news, and I don't know if fans are aware of it, is that the replay hardware is now truly courtside uh, for you guys to to access quite quickly. Uh, How do you think that is working this year in the Big East? Well, we went, we, this is the first year that the uh, men's side of the Big East went to DV Sports. Um, and DV Sports is an entity that provides the replay systems. It captures feeds from whatever available networks they are. And they're supposed to be able to funnel to us immediately all the different angles that have been captured. And the official can use the actual toggle and, and bring it back and forth to see the plays and the angles. You know, replay is, is kind of a, a double-edged sword for me, guys. I refereed for a lot of years without replay, and I would be foolish if I didn't think that we should take advantage of replay. But replay has a couple of problems in my mind. One, the fans think that the angle that we need to see is readily available, and a lot of times it's not, and that contributes to the delay. And the other problem with replay is that it has set an expectation um, where the only acceptable standard for an official is get every play right. Mm -hmm. And it's never going to happen. There's a human element to this. Calls are made on the move. Replay has its advantages, but as I said, it it has some drawbacks. I think it's it's necessary, especially for the end-of-game situation so that we can get things right. But... You know, there's always that thought in my mind that we get to go and look at an out-of-bounds play in the last two minutes, but we might have missed four or five of them just outside the two-minute mark that we can't do anything about. John, we appreciate the insight as always. Thank you for sharing. And we know that uh, it's not an easy job to be a ref. So uh, as the March Madness appears around the corner, uh, we wish you and your crews nothing but the best of luck. Thanks, John. Thanks, Kevin. I hope to see you guys soon. Thanks again to Biggie Supervisor of Officials, John Cal, for joining us. Who's hot? Well, it's certainly not the weather outside for sure, but we do have a few players of note who are as hot as it can get this time of year. Next, this week in the Big East. Coming up, who's hot? This week in the Big East. 
Be a VIP and experience select NCAA championships the best way possible with the NCAA Experience. Packages for select championships, including the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship and Men's Final Four, can include game tickets, pregame VIP hospitality access, hotels, and much more. Official NCAA Experience ticket and hospitality packages are available now at NCAA.com slash VIP. Secure your VIP package today to experience it live. Who's hot? Back out to Gooden after one inside. Over to Blewett. Three's on the way from Blewett. Got it. Blewett gives Xavier the lead for the first time since a nine-minute mark in the first half. Xavier leads 72-70 over the Creighton Blue Jays with 3.24 to go. Travis into the lane. Around Fisher. Off the window and in. How about the second half from that man? Andrew Travis now having himself a ball game. Outlet pass to Levesque. Levette, right side, quarter court. On the drive, step back three, right wing is good. Marcus Levette rings the bell for St. John. Brunson finds DiVincenzo. Now Josh Hart, wide open three, a swish from the right sideline. Catch right back up 13. Butler locks down the high-octane offense of the Marquette Golden Eagles with a 68-65 victory on the road. What a response by Butler. J.P. McCure driving the right baseline. He's turned back. Over to Blewett, three's on the way on the right side. Blewett hits another three, and Xavier leads 75 to 70, a five point lead with 2.48 to go. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. I'm John Rook with Kevin McNamara. And Kevin, we talked a week ago about Xavier's Trevon Blewett. You'll remember about how he needed to step up for the Musketeers after the loss of Edmund Sumner uh, and absorb some of the big game pressure to make things easier on his teammates. Kind of think he's doing that right now, don't you? You know, it's all about opportunity, John. You know, we always knew that Blewett was a really good player, potential all-league first, you know, first-team player. He was sharing the spotlight with Sumner. Now he's just getting more shots, more opportunity, more of a focus, and he's certainly, you know, proven himself ready to carry that load. Yeah. I, I'm also very impressed with the the play of uh, Quentin Gooden, who stepped in at point guard. He's been outstanding so far. Yeah, so Xavier trying to overcome the loss of Sumner to the ACL injury, as we talked about last week. Blewett does win the Big East Player of the Week award for the second straight week this past week. He averaged 20 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists uh, for XU in two big wins last week by two points each over Seton Hall and at Creighton. He hit the eventual game winner with 4.4 seconds left against the Pirates. And then he followed that up with back-to-back threes late in the game as the Musketeers held off the Blue Jays. That's taking it over. Winning at Creighton is not easy. We've been there. We've seen the 17,000 people to step up and knock in two threes back-to-back down the stretch. That's a big-time performance. Absolutely. So Trevon Blewett is coming up uh, coming up aces right now for Xavier as the Musketeers are getting ready to hit the stretch drive. Big East Rookie of the Week, St. John's Marcus Levette. You know, he and teammate Shamari Pond seem to be alternating the honor going back and forth every week. So obviously a dynamic young backcourt for the Red Storm. Levette averaged 20 points per game with five and a half assists and three and a half steals, shooting 57% from the floor for the Red Storm last week. And the Red Storm freshman, he is fifth overall in league scoring at 17.2 points per game. John, let's project this out a month. Uh, are we looking at maybe Coe 
Big East rookies of the year. Uh, listen, I think we're heading that direction because it seems Pons, Lavette, Lavette, Pons are going back and forth with these two guys. That I think it's be awful tough for coaches to say you know one has had the, a better season than the other. They, they've done a, they've been a great pair on the Big East honor roll this week. Georgetown's Rodney Pryor averaged nineteen and a half points for the week, scored twenty six in a win at DePaul. Marquette's Andrew Rousey, uh, well, when he isn't hitting left-handed fallaway threes and getting a four-point play out of those, he averaged twenty-one and a half points in two games, and he shot. Nine of fifteen from long distance. You know, Rousey is uh, one of the several transfers that have come into the Big East Conference this year. Uh, Kevin, as I know, you're very well aware, having played at North Carolina Asheville, that in previously before coming to Marquette, there really has been a lift for the uh, Golden Eagles coming off of the bench. There's no question. I, I think the uh, addition of veterans who know what March and February and these tough late season games are all about are invaluable. Seton Hall's Angel Delgado, I don't think we talk about him enough, so we'll try to talk about him a little bit here. He just continues to dominate the paint. He averaged 19.5 points and 15 rebounds in a couple of games. He hit for a career-best 26 points, along with 17 rebounds in an overtime win at Georgetown. He's had back-to-back 20-plus rebound games in games this year. He leads the nation in rebounding. And quite frankly, I do not know how he got left off of the last 10 for the uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Award for Nation's Best Centers. That just blows me away. It makes no sense. You know, he also followed up uh, his Georgetown uh, effort with 19-15 and 15 against Providence. Providence He's right. an automatic double-double. John, I- I'd have to go back through the records, he may shatter every Big East rebounding record there is. I mean, he might average 13, 14 rebounds a game. I mean, that's really tough to do in college basketball. One of the things that I've been told for a long time over the 30 years now that I've covered this league is that if you have a skill that can translate to the NBA, you can play in the NBA. And i got to tell you, Angel Delgado is an NBA caliber rebounder. The ball just seems to find his hands. Seems to find him, and it was funny, Ed Cooley, after Providence's loss at Seton Hall went out of his way to tell the local media down there that you guys have a special player. You, you have to realize that it's difficult to rebound on this level, and this guy's an automatic big number rebounder. Oh, and yeah, uh, how about Villanova's Josh Hart this week? Twenty-one and a half points, eight and a half rebounds per game, and two Wildcat wins. So, oh, him, yeah, you know, him, yeah, yeah. yeah he's uh, old man River. He just keeps going <laughs> away. Got one more I wanted to add. Maybe the best win of last week was Butler uh, knocking off Marquette sure. on the road, sixty-eight, yeah. sixty-five. Andrew Schrabitz, the, the senior from Rhode Island had 21 and just torched the Golden Eagles down the stretch. Got to give him a lot of credit. He's had a very good year for the Bulldogs. He's had a great career. Really has. Again, I I know we've said it on the show before. I lost a bet with a friend when he came in to the Big East. I certainly had seen him and known him growing up in Rhode Island. And someone said, well, he's going to score 1,500 college points. I said, no chance. Not going to happen. $100. I think I'm going to be out $100. Wow. How about that? think that's going to cost you, Kev. Our Big East focus this week deals with one versus two. Right now in the Big East Conference, Villanova and Xavier, big marquee matchup on Saturday. Joe Giuliano, who's covered the Wildcats from their national championship and beyond for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He joins us next, this week in the Big East. Coming up next, the Big East focus. To walk these classrooms, these fields, these courts, is to walk in the footsteps of legends. Villanovans who have built a legacy of success, both in and out of the classroom. Bound by tradition, humility, and our commitment to each other, we are stronger together. We are fearless, relentlessly pushing ourselves to victory. We believe in Nova Nation and give ourselves to it totally, even when no one is looking. We are Villanova, and each of us strengthens all of us. Big East Focus. 
Brunson in the paint, back to Hart. Right wing, three-pointer, yes sir, Josh Hart delivers in front of the Villanova bench. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. John Rook with Kevin McNamara. Big game on tap this weekend. We'll talk about it a little bit more later as well. But we figured when you have number one matchup with number two on a particular Saturday, it's worth talking about. Villanova and Xavier for the top spot in the Big East Conference as we get down to the last half dozen or so conference games. And Joe Giuliano covers the Villanova Wildcats for the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. He's been a part of Eastern basketball for a long time. So he knows these teams. He knows the Big East. He certainly knows Jay Wright, Right, Joe? I know you've known him since he was a first-time assistant in the league, right? That's right, yeah, when he was uh, carrying Roly Massimino's clipboard. Those were the days. Oh, <laughs> I probably can tell some stories with that one. What, what, what in particular has impressed you the most about the way Villanova has sort of, I guess, repeated in, without winning a national championship again yet, of course, but how they followed up winning a national title this year? Well, I think the big thing with them is mental toughness. Uh, you know, they have uh, veteran players on their team. Uh, they have... Uh, Hart, Jenkins, and Reynolds, who are uh, you know part of they've they've only lost uh, I think it's something like eighteen games in four years. So you know they they've really learned from the best uh, you know from Archie Diacono and Oshefu and from Hilliard and Pinkston and from James Bell. I mean you know the, Villanova has really built their Jay Wright has really built a program that that can sustain itself. And when you have Hart, Reynolds, and uh, Jenkins in the lead, that's uh, not so bad. And then you have Jalen Brunson, who might be a clone of. Ryan Archidiakono. We, we haven't checked the DNA yet, but uh, it's, it's pretty close. Uh, Brunson's a little better scorer than Arch was, but uh, they both uh, control the tempo on the floor uh, uh, you know, beautifully. Um, so, yeah, mental toughness uh, and not getting and not panicking. They've had a custom lately of uh, giving uh, running out to big leads and giving them up uh, against Marquette. It was fatal, but against the other teams uh, they've played since then, it's uh, they've managed to right the ship before the game's over and come out with a win. So, uh, yeah, those are the impressive things to this point. You know, Joe, uh, everyone who talks about Villanova, they seem to go to the negatives. Uh, they don't have enough size. Their depth is a little shaky, a uh, little inexperienced, and yet they just win games. And, you know, if you remember last year at this time, people were poking holes into Villanova again. You know, they hadn't won in the tournament, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm not going to ask you if they can repeat and win a national championship, but how dangerous will this team be when the games get even bigger in March? Well, yeah, they'll be they'll be pretty dangerous, Kevin. Only in the fact that they know what to expect, they know how to handle the pressure, they know how to prepare. I mean, they prepare the same way for every game, or, or so they say. But uh, you know, obviously, they'll ratchet it up when the uh, postseason comes again. The, the biggest problem that we have uh, with noted depth and, and uh, the possible fatigue factor. Uh, you know, Josh Hart plays 33 minutes a game, and I looked; he's not even in the top 10 in the conference seven minutes played standings. You know, Hart; he, he has a motor that that, that never quits, and uh, he you know uh, he never takes a possession off. In fact, he plays every possession at pretty much full speed. And uh, you would think a fatigue would bother a guy like that. It seemed to be evident in the Georgetown game when, in the second half, he missed his first seven shots from the floor and didn't score for 16 minutes. It's like, well, may, he, he might be pretty tired, and then all of a sudden he, he scores, uh, makes two big buckets down the stretch and scores six points in the surge that uh, led to their victory. But uh, uh, the, the depth thing, I think, is going to be an issue. Uh, foul trouble could could come back to bite them. It hasn't yet. And, and the fact that, uh, and you mentioned the size differential, you know, uh, Georgetown has some big guys. They had uh, Govan and Hayes and uh, Agao. And, uh, you know, they, they did struggle with them a little bit at times. So, uh, you know, if they see a big guy in the tournament, you know, how will they react? So, you know, a lot of these questions, and, yeah, I guess it's fair to poke holes. But, you know, if there's really no dominant team, as you know, 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, any, any one of 15 or 20 teams can win it all, and Villanova's right up there. Let's talk about a potential challenger then to Nova within the Big East Conference. It's Joe Giuliano, who covers the Wildcats and the Big East for the Philadelphia Inquirer, joined us here this week in the Big East. Xavier comes into this matchup one versus two with their own Player of the Year candidate and a guy like Trevon Blewett. What have you seen of the Musketeers and how they've had to adjust following the loss of Edmund Sumner that could potentially make them title-worthy, not only in the conference, but also make them potentially have some uh, ability to do damage in March? Well, I, I know how good a team they have. Now, when we saw them at the Pavilion in January, Sumner was playing. In fact, it was interesting. You know, he had uh, suffered a, a head injury the, the, the last season when he came to the Pavilion and only played three minutes. And this year, early in the first half, he went down holding his shoulder. And we're thinking, oh, man, not again. This place is a jinx for Sumner. And he came back and played and, and uh, was their leading scorer, which didn't say much because Xavier lost the game by 25. But uh, you know, I, I guess it's all up to how Gooden is, uh, you know, running the point for them. Blewett has been uh, obviously carrying them in the scoring column. McCora is a, is a you know, ter- terrific player, does a lot of different things, and he's, he's a tough kid. So uh, with guys like that in the lineup, it's, uh, you know, Xavier is always going to be tough. They have a good system. Coach Mack does a, does a good job with the system. And, uh, you know, I know they remember that tasting they took at Villanova. Chris came in, and he was no, <laughs> he was not a barrel of laughs exactly coming into the, media room after the getting pounded by Villanova. He called it our annual thrashing. <laughs> and you know they want to get back at him uh, like they did last year, but of course the players who starred last year for Xavier uh, uh, in that win over Villanova are not there anymore. Reynolds, Farr, Davis. So, uh, you know, it's going to be up to Blewett and uh, the young guys to, uh, to carry them on, and uh, we'll see what happens. Right. Uh, Joe, I- I'm curious, do you think, you know, losing by 30 last year, by 25, 26 this year at home, uh, did has to play into uh, you know Saturday's rematch, and the fact that Xavier beat Villanova last year at the Sintas Center, I'm sure they think it's their time. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Kevin. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I'm sure they remember it. I, I still remember the steam coming out of Chris Maxier's as he left the interfer room at Nova last month, and uh, you know that they're going to be ready for this game. And, uh, you know, it's funny, on consecutive Saturdays, they play at Xavier, where they lost last year and, and beat the team the first time by 25. And next Saturday they play at Seton Hall, who they beat by 30 at the Pavilion, and who beat them at, at the uh, in Newark two years ago. So, uh, you, you know, it's that's the great thing about Big East, though. It's a true home and home every time, and uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen from uh, one game to the next. Uh, I'm sure Jay Wright will be the first to tell you that they're not going to dominate Saturday's game against Xavier like they did uh, last month. Uh, you know, Xavier only shot 29% from the field, and uh, you know, didn't play well at all. But, of course, without Sumner, you know, I, I haven't really seen enough of Gooden to, to know, like, how well he's leading the team. I, I see he's, uh, uh, you know, ninth or eighth or ninth in the league in assists uh, in conference games. So, uh, you know, obviously the guy's a good player or he wouldn't be at Xavier. So uh, it'll be an interesting uh, matchup to see how uh, he does against, uh, against Villanova. Joe, thanks for the insight. It's appreciated. Oh, thank you, John. Thanks, Kevin. Joe Giuliano of the Philadelphia Inquirer. The national perspective is next. Four teams, five teams, six teams of the NCAA tournament. Well, we got a guy who always seems to hit the nail on the head when it comes to predicting these things, and he's seen more than his fair share of great Big East tournament games over the past three and a half decades as well, known as Sonar for his shooting range back in the day. Joe Hassett joins us next, this week in the Big East. Coming up next, the national perspective. The Providence College experience, rooted in academic excellence, shared values, and an uncommon sense of community is both unique and exceptional. 
A premier Catholic liberal arts college, PC has 3,900 undergraduate students, a dynamic, engaged community, and a great location just minutes from downtown Providence. With pride in its heritage, Providence College looks forward to a bright future. Learn more at providence.edu. National Perspective. Cartwright begins his move to the right. Penetration stops. Foul on jumper. Good. What a move by Cartwright with the right hand. Drew the defense off and raised up and knocked down the jumper. Well, one thing is for certain. When it comes to calling it as he sees it, PC's Joe Hassett never minces words. I should know. He's been a part of the Friar radio team for more than 30 years. And an All-American career at Providence led to six seasons in the NBA and a reputation as a deadly outside shooter when playing. But as a current broadcaster, Joe has always had an eye for the present talent. And he joins us this week in the Big East. Uh, Joe, I'm kind of curious. What's impressed you the most, really, about the play in the conference so far this year overall? You guys are in there today with this nasty snowstorm in here. Uh, that's pretty good, you and Kevin McNamara getting to work. <laughs> but I think that this year, the, the Big East, I mean, it's a great conference from top to bottom. Every game goes down to the last possession, it seems. And, and the guys who are ones who are executing down the stretch the last couple of minutes of the game are the ones who end up winning the ball game. It's close. I mean, you can have a last-place team beat the first-place team this year. So I think the balance is probably the best in the country. Joe, we talked about Villanova on the show for the last uh, you know, several weeks, uh, all season long, a former number one, looking at a number one seed in the NCAA tournament again. I'm just looking at uh, for your uh, impressions of the Wildcats. Jay Wright has figured out what you need to be a successful uh, team in college basketball today, much like the NBA. You need shooters. you got to have three or four guys who can knock down three-pointers all the time on the floor. You spread the court out. I mean, they don't have a center this year. I mean, they basically, Sheffield last year was a semi-center, but they won it all with no center, and, and they have a good chance of doing that again. They have guys who can beat you off the dribble. They throw the extra pass, but they all can shoot it. You can have one or two guys with an off night, but if you have the other two guys knocking down threes, it opens up the middle. I mean, it, that's the way you play the game now. you got to have shooters. If you don't have enough shooters, you're not going to win in college basketball, that's for sure. So does this mean then that uh, you know defense is on its way out? Is it more important than ever? How do you look at these teams that get down and defend? Because it pretty much seems to be the teams that can defend are usually the teams that are in the upper half of the conference. How does that fit in? Well, when you have a 30-second shot clock, that's very important now because if you can defend for that period of time, you make it difficult on the opposition to score. And I think teams that mix up the defense are the ones that have the best opportunity to win defensively because they come down, play a 2-3 zone one time, a 1-3-1, play some man-to-man. You can't play the same defense every time down, I don't believe, to be successful because teams just figure it out. I think teams that play good zone, extend it, make you take tough twos like Ed Cooley likes to do at Providence, but take away those three-point shots and you're going to get some horrible shots, long rebounds, and fast breaks. So I, I believe that you know the zone defense is probably the best way to go with 30-second shot clock. Joe Hassett, who uh, calls the Providence games on the uh, Friar Radio Network, joining us here this week in the Big East. Now, uh, Joe, uh, I'm going to ask you about a very favorite subject that you uh, like to uh, talk about all the time on the radio, and those that will listen to the Providence games certainly know where I'm getting ready to go with this. <laughs> Officials are your best friends, aren't they? Yeah, when they're not refereeing. You know, they're fine <laughs> when, they, when, they, when there's no game. Um, you know, it's just fine. They, they, you know, they have a, you know, I like the line everybody mentions. You know, it said they have a tough job, and they do. But we all have tough jobs. They, they have a very difficult job, and I understand. I know I played golf with John Callab at uh, Saratoga at uh, Rick Pitino's uh, golf tournament last year. And, you know, he's a really good guy. He's head of officials in the Big East. And, 
you know, when he was refereeing, I used to like try to punch him once in a while when he ran by. But, you know, I get to play <laughs> golf and he's a good guy. But what I like from officiating is just to be consistent. And, and it's frustrating sometimes to watch, you know, at the end of the game, they're blowing whistles that it's the same things have been going on for the last, you know, 35 minutes. And in the last five minutes, they're calling those fouls. So, you know, and it, it, the game's come down to a, a really tough call at the end of the game. And as a former player, a coach always tells you, hey, listen, no one officiating call is going to win or lose the game. Well, I don't believe that. I think down the stretch, a lot of a lot of big calls are made that uh, should have been made earlier, and maybe the players players will always adjust the way that the game's being called. But at the end of the game, they just seem to be, you know, a little bit different in how they officiate the game. And and I, I really think, I'll be honest with you, I think that sometimes the officials know who the ranked team is and who's not the ranked team. And when it comes down to a tough call at the end of the game, the team that ranks going to get the benefit of the doubt. I've been doing the games for 32 years. You just, I just don't see that. I don't think it's fair sometimes late in the game. Now that's spoken like a former player, don't you think so, John John Rook? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, Kevin, you're so right. I mean, you know, you you're right. That's a former player. My father was a Division One referee, and when I was first started calling the games, you know, I'd get after the officials a little bit, and my father would call me up and, and he'd be upset with me. He said, "You know, you can't say that about the officials." I said, "Hey, Dad, I don't play anymore, and I don't care. <laughs> or throw me out of the game." I said, if I don't like something, I'm going to say it, because if I did it in the ball game, I'd get pecked and maybe get thrown out. Just being honest, Joe. Joe, you mentioned you mentioned John Cal uh, just a little bit. We had him on earlier in the program, and he's given us an update on how he feels the games are being called with some of the new emphasis and and the rules, especially on contact. How do you feel the point of emphasis has changed this year in terms of uh, what we've seen in the Big East and in the college game? And where do you think the next step is for officials to need to go to adjudicate these games? You know, as far as the contact goes, there was a lot of contact. Uh, some plays that I've seen in the last couple of games, especially last night, that wasn't called. And it's just like arbitrary on some some contact. Like, guy gets the ball in the post and he starts banging into the chest of the defensive player and there's no call. I mean, if the defensive player has position, the offensive player shouldn't be allowed to lower his shoulder. If you call an offensive foul on that offensive player right away, that ends it. It stops it. But they don't. So it's just like a, you know, a, a Brahma Bulls going at it in the post there. So... From a consistency standpoint, I just think they would be a little bit more consistent. You know, what is it travel anymore in college basketball? I mean, they actually called a palming call in the ball game last night, which shocked me. I mean, but, you know, it's tough enough to guard some of these guys that are so fast and that they can carry the ball three feet before they put it on the floor, and you can't guard them at all. And then this Euro step. I don't get this Euro step. What is that? <laughs> I mean, the Euro step should be a travel. The guy picks up his ball and he broad jumps sideways to shoot it. I mean, as a defensive player, you, get, you did your job originally. Kevin, I blame myself. I, I got him going. Yeah, we, so we, we have to myself. cut him off. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, t- 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 see, John, J- J- Joe wasn't. I'm off the wall here now. Yes. <laughs> see, John, Joe wasn't fast enough to have a Euro step or carry the ball. He just no. he just caught it and shot it. So, you know, he, he's kind of jealous. If I had a Euro step, I would have been fast enough. What the hell? <laughs> I mean, just pick the ball up and run it. All right. I can't guard you. All right, Joe, we're going to bring you back down to earth and ask you about one of your best times of the year for the last 30-plus years, and that's the Big East Tournament. This year is in its 35th year at Madison Square Garden. I know you've been there for all 34 thus far. Uh, I'm going to let you think about what your best memories in the Big East Tournament would be. They probably revolve around Providence uh basketball, but um, obviously the benefits of the Big East going back to the MSG every year, uh, I'm sure you can see that more, better than anyone. Yeah, that's a good question, Kevin. I mean, it's been a long 
ride, but it's been a fun one. I remember first starting out in the Big East and taking the train down from Providence, and the train would be packed. You know, you have Boston College fans and Providence fans going down to New York, and guys would be there with a whole suitcase full of beer, drinking <laughs> on the train or going down. And, you know, it's just a festival of time. I mean, that's that's kind of gone by the wayside now, but... I think as far as the fans go, they don't they don't go down as long now, but they have a great time at the games and you know fond memories of great games. And I can I can think of one instance when I was doing the games. Sorry, John, I wasn't with you during this instance, but I was with Eric Reed. Right. It was our second year in the Big East. We actually did all the games one year on radio, and Providence was playing the nine o'clock game, which started about you know ten o'clock that night, and we were punch drunk. And I remember looking over at one of the custodians at the end of the game was doing the post-game show about 1 o'clock in the morning, and Eric and I just got into a laughing fit. We just couldn't stop laughing. The guys in the studio had to go to commercial because neither one of us could talk. We were just punch-struck being there all that time. But it's a great time to be at the Big East because you have all those games. If you're a hoop junkie, every game is fun. And, and the one memorable game I remember was the uh, Syracuse, your alma mater, Kevin, and, and UConn game. Yep. I was at that game with my kids. And that, that was just an unbelievable game. I mean, it was six overtimes. Of, it was so much fun to watch. And people who were at that game will never forget that one. Joe, one final quick question. Four teams, five teams, six teams in the Big East in the NCAA tournament. What's your initial guess? Well, I, I think five teams looks pretty good right now. I think the Seton Hall win last night uh, was a big win for them. They have a schedule that favors them. They have three straight home games now, plus the St. John's on the road. They're, they're in a good position. I think Marquette has a pretty good shot at getting that fifth spot. But, you know, six teams, I think, would be a little bit of a reach. But I think five is, is definitely doable. If you can have your teams uh, from your conference into the, into the NCAA tournament, I think that's a very good, uh, very good thing to have. Joe Hassett, Providence Radio. Well, who's got next? The upcoming schedule has big games lined up, ready to play. We're going to tell you all about it coming up this week in the Big East. Coming up, who's got next? This week in the Big East. Xavier University. It's a place where learning extends beyond the classroom, where students learn more by doing more and discover new truths about their world and themselves, where passion meets purpose, where students blend mission and meaning and live lives that truly matter. That's the Xavier way. Learn more about what a Xavier education can do for you at xavier.edu. Who's got next? Wildcats 52, Musketeers 42. These teams split last year at Xavier. Jenkins, three, he's got it. He looked to go down low with a pass, but instead said, I'll shoot it and nail it from the left far out there, 18 points now for Jenkins. John Rook and Kevin McNamara with you this week in the Big East. All 10 Big East teams are in action Saturday against each other. And let's lead it off, Kev, with first place Villanova playing at current number two, Xavier, in a 2.30 Eastern time tip. That should be some show. It's called a big-time game right there. First place, uh, up for bid right there. Right. Villanova's done a very good job on the road all season long, but uh, very tough to go into the Sintas Center and get a win. That's, that's a great game. Great game, marquee game without a doubt, and obviously first place on the line. Xavier wins, then they're tied in the loss column with uh, Villanova uh, with uh, a game in hand. Marquette at Georgetown leads the the day off with Seton Hall and St. John's in a battle for, well, not just New York, New Jersey bragging rights, but how about potential postseason seeding as well in that one? 
Well, Seton Hall is an interesting team. I've had them as an NCAA tournament team all season long. They they dug a little hole for themselves. The schedule really breaks for them, John, down the stretch here right. after going to St. John's, which you know that's not a that's not a, a real trip. Right. You know they, uh, you know, go across the river there, but uh, certainly into enemy territory. They come home for three home games in a row, but poof, Creighton, Villanova, Xavier. <laughs> So that's the good that's no news treat. and the bad news. That's no treat. No. <laughs> well, Creighton plays at DePaul uh, on Saturday as well. And don't sleep on Butler at Providence. That's liable to be a very entertaining game later in the day. Uh, Friars have been on the verge of breaking out. It could happen soon, but I don't know, Kev. Is it uh, If they do break out, is it too late for Providence? It may be too late for the Friars, but, you know, John, they have four of their last six at home. If they can get all four and then win a road game, they're looking at nine and nine, and I think nine and nine is a kind of a magical number in the Big East this year. Anyone who's at five hundred in this conference will be, at, you know, they'll be considered for the NCAA tournament. Next week, Creighton plays at Seton Hall. Providence entertains Xavier on Wednesday. St. John's will play at Butler, and that's some serious midweek scheduling right there. Well, again, we've talked about the Creighton Seton Hall game. I think that's a that's a big time game. Providence with one of those monster home games we've talked about. Xavier comes in. Uh, St. John's is an interesting team to me because they still occasionally play like a young team, and they're a very young team, uh, but they're so dangerous with those two guards like we've talked about. Uh, at Butler is a, quite a test, but they're dangerous. All right, got a Twitter question this week from Big East Fan who asks, well, beyond Josh Hart, who should be in contention for Big East Player of the Year? Well, it's tough not to uh, bring up Trevon Blewett's name right away. Uh, second leading scorer in the league, a very dangerous player every time he steps on the court. And, you know, I would probably say get to throw Justin Patton in there as well. He's probably the best NBA prospect in the league. Uh, shooting 70% from the field, John. I mean, whew, that's big time. It, that is big time. How do the injuries to both Maurice Watson and Edmund Sumner, though, affect this particular running? Because, frankly, I mean, you got Watson, who used to feed Patton, obviously in an alley-oop that was just like uh, magic at times. And then you had uh, Sumner, who used to feed Trevon Blewett. He's got to be a clear you know, candidate as well. How does, how does their loss affect this race? Well, I, I think that, you know it certainly affects the overall team. Uh, I think Creighton was a potential top you know, one, two, three seed uh, and a second weekend NCAA tournament team. Not sure if that's the case now. Uh, but just look at what's happened since uh, Watson's gone down. Creighton still won. You know, they they still they went to Butler and had a big time win. Yeah, they figured it out a little bit now. Yeah, and obviously that's because they have a player like Justin Patton still in the lineup. He's he's uh, I think he's the best big guy in the league. The the combination of him and uh, you know a friend uh, Delgado at Seton Hall. I'd put those two big guys up against anybody in the country. Our thanks to Big East Supervisor of Officials John Cal, Providence Radio Analyst Joe Hassett, and the Philadelphia Inquirer's Joe. Giuliano for joining us this week. Thanks also go out to the flagship stations at Xavier, at Providence, and Creighton for their assistance. Thanks as always to our producer Kevin Collins and to the coaches and administrators at all 10 Big East member institutions. For Kevin McNamara, I'm John Rook. Don't forget to tweet us your questions using that hashtag TWITBE. And when you download the podcast, if you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks a bunch. We appreciate that. We'll be back same time next week. This week in the Big East. Thanks for listening to This Week in the Big East. Special thanks to our member schools, Butler, Creighton, DePaul, Georgetown, Marquette, Providence, St. John's, Seton Hall, 
Villanova, and Xavier, as well as their athletic departments. This Week in the Big East is produced by Kevin Collins. The executive producers are John Paquette and Rick Gentile. Be sure to join us next week for the latest edition of This Week in the Big East.